Taizong had a very wild horse whom no one could master. I was then a palace girl, and standing by his side, I said, "I can control him, but I shall need three things first: an iron whip, an iron mace, and a dagger." If the iron whip does not bring him to obedience, then I will use the iron mace to beat his head, and if that does not do it, I will use the dagger and cut his throat. Taizong understood my meaning. So I'm embarrassed to say this because I've said it before, but when I research some of these people that we've decided to cover in Blind History, and really, I mean, the list is endless. So I suppose I shouldn't feel bad, but I always think I'm so ignorant and ill-informed. And when it comes to someone as important as this, I really feel that way. Uh, her name was Wu Zetian, or Wu Zhao, um, and I knew absolutely nothing about her. And she's without any shred of doubt, she's climbed into the top ten of my most favorite people in all of history. This is a brand new episode of Blind History. Anthony Meadero and I, and uh, you. To talk about some of the most interesting people from the past,、um, there are always lessons to be learned. What makes this episode so special is that actually this was a suggestion by Helen, who listens to the show. So thank you, Helen. First and foremost, and this is quite easily one of the most formidable people. Whether she was a woman or if she'd been a man, she'd still be in the top ten for me of all time. And what she did in her time was absolutely remarkable. Yeah, it was incredible to actually study Wu Zetian. So I really, really enjoyed it. And where I first came across her was Robert Greene's written quite a few books,、um, and this particular one was Art of Seduction. And she had that art down pat.、Oh, so,、wow. and that's when I started getting interested. Who is this lady? And so I did do a bit of studying behind the scenes on that. Wu Zetian was essentially around in the 600s AD. That's an enormously long time ago. And the kinds of things that were achieved in her reign. Were exceptional, not only again because she was the only woman in two thousand years of Chinese imperial history to have the kind of power that she had, but also because there are still buildings that she lived and worked in and worshipped in. There are still monuments, and her grave lies undisturbed in a province of China where there's a long sacred road that you walk along, and it's just a pillar, uninscribed. Most Chinese emperors. Wanted an epitaph, and we know of many other great leaders who we've, on various episodes of Blind History, referred to, and who wanted very specifically a, a, a history of their reign recorded. She was happy to let those who came afterwards describe her, and many people have said that the very best description of her is to actually leave it blank, because she broke labels, she destroyed old patriarchies and hierarchies. She did things that were so tremendously transformative at that time in China that her memory actually deserves a blank piece of paper. I mean, people have tried to write a history of her since then, but she actually wanted that pillar built, and she put nothing on it except her name and said, "You guys write the history." And man, did people come up with some convoluted stories about her once she was gone. And the big thing is, is that the empress that came after wanted to banish any memory of her. And especially because they, she started her own dynasty, so it started with her and it ended with her, and then it went back to the Tang Dynasty. So they just wanted to rub that out as if it never happened. So that's why the inscriptions it was blank. So she started off, and you mentioned seduction. She started off life as a 
you know, an unremarkable, ordinary young girl and was, um, because of her beauty and her charm, recruited into the household of the emperor at the time and became a concubine, but one of many. I mean, these emperors had you know, hundreds of concubines and she was just one of them. So it must have been an aspect of her personality or her incredible beauty or her general sophistication that she managed to get his attention and raise herself to the level where she wasn't an equal to all the other concubines anymore. So her dad really was fundamental to the then emperor, maybe in a smaller way, but he owed him. And so I think that was also where it played out. But her dad saw that she was different to, to the rest of his children. And she was intelligent. She questioned a lot of things. She questioned her dad. So her dad thought there's no place for her in this family. She's going to question everything. He couldn't find a suitor for her at that particular age that she went to become a concubine with the emperor. He couldn't find a tutor that would put up with this type of character because it was so foreign in those days. Usually they would don or knit or whatever they did in yeah. those days, but she was not interested in that at all. And she was very, very intelligent. That was one of the reasons also why she went, went to the emperor. So it was interesting. She was a concubine of an emperor called Taizong. But after his death, she actually married his successor, which was his ninth son, the Emperor Gaozong, and became his consort and, and took the title of Empress Consort, reigning as his main consort from then on. Um, and she had considerable political power already, but that grew and grew. And he had a stroke, as I understand it. Correct. Yes, he had a stroke, yeah. And, and therefore was incapacitated for most of his reign. And she ran things yeah that suited her perfectly there were <laughs> there was talk and only the real sort of truth is coming out now but that she poisoned him but ultimately then yes he did have a stroke he was a weak man uh, compared to his dad and um she had an incredible relationship with his dad there's now stories coming out that although she was a concubine they never slept together hmm. and she ended up being his secretary <laughs> he didn't trust a lot of his people to get the right message out to the people and so she did that for him. And during that time, she met the son who became Gaizong. And she was very strategic. So there's rumors that they were having an affair hmm. while the dad was still alive, while he was sick. So if historians were asked a 100 years ago about her, they would have said she was a terrible woman. She was like a, a tempestuous, dangerous uh, break with tradition, that she wasn't really regarded in Chinese history as being this incredible person, but they've discovered things recently that rewrite that history a little bit. And they've discovered amazing, amazing things about her capital city, which was a million people big. There were a million people inside the walls and a million out, that it was the most cosmopolitan place in the whole world at that stage. There were buildings that were essentially like the skyscrapers of that time. Uh, there's a famous pagoda in China, which is dedicated to Buddhism, which was her preferred religion. And Buddhism was also her way of connecting to her people, which was interesting and, again, strategic. But really, this woman didn't have the easiest time post her death in terms of her reputation. And she has been tarnished by what you can only call a Confucian patriarchy that was there Correct. before and that was thereafter. The, the, the male aristocracy of China never liked the idea that she was as good as she actually was. And luckily, because the Chinese have kept such excellent records and they've preserved their history, which is so much to their credit, we can now discover things about her that we didn't know before. Mm. She took it from a military regime to a scholaristic regime. Mm. And what she did was incredible. And she brought people in that were actually good at the job. I mean, there's so many lessons we can learn now 
in that uh, you don't get appointed, but you can actually do the job. Well, she even had the audacity to appoint a female prime minister whose grave was obviously destroyed by succeeding generations in an attempt to smear her reputation as well. But she seems to have been an incredibly efficient administrator too. Empress Wu, during her, her long reign, it was over 50 years, had managed not only to expand the frontiers of the empire non-militarily, she managed to protect the Silk Road, which was their most important trade route with Europe. And if you look at some of the inscriptions and some of the murals that they found, they actually show foreign diplomats from as far as Rome who'd come to see her, Koreans, Iranians. Mm. They've actually got a headdress that was found on, on the skeleton of one of her great-granddaughters. And this headdress is called the Phoenix Crown. This thing is the most intricately made piece of jewelry that you could possibly imagine in the year 690 or somewhere thereabouts. And she did things like make sure that her soldiers and her people were always fed, even mm. though they were droughts. She built these enormous rice granaries, which you can still go and visit in China now. And it's remarkable to think about this, especially in the context of her time, because Europe at that time was a disaster. Mm. I mean, you had... The Dark Ages. It was the Dark Ages, correct. The, the, you know, the ancient world had collapsed in on itself. Um, Europe was just a bunch of feudal tribes. Barbarians. Were, as barbarians. They, them, yeah. they were warring against each mm. other the whole time. And here was this sophisticated civilization, this extraordinary cosmopolitan civilization in China. But she knew very well that it started and stopped with her. Because if we look at it, the minute she died, she knew it was over. Or the minute that another emperor came in that she didn't have control over, she'd lose control. So she had to make sure during her tenure, whatever way, and you can see during her life how she did it, she had to make sure that she kept control. So she wasn't building a legacy. She knew she couldn't build a legacy. And that's where a lot of people are very hard on her. But mm -hmm. it's nothing that any other emperor would have done. Kaizong killed his two brothers. Wow. So, so she had to perform certain things to ensure that she stayed in power. Either through the weak Kaizong, which it was a blessing for her to build up her experience. And then afterwards with her two sons, she got rid of them very, very quickly. And yeah, I mean, she, she actually, um, there's an interesting story about the end of her life where she went up to Mount Song and she threw down a golden tablet with all her sins written on them in a, in a kind of confession. And this blows my mind. They found this gold tablet with her confession mm -hmm. written on it. And she clearly had a, conscience that bothered her towards mm. the end of her life but then anyone who wants to hold on to power and can administer an, an entire empire the way she did has to have done some bad things in their lives of course 100 percent. so you talk about and they focused on it you know yeah. the history focused on it until now as it starts coming out well the other thing that we do have from her and you mentioned the word building building an empire she was a great builder i mean her palace was apparently 20 times the size of the Acropolis. And remember, this is, this is at an early stage in, in civilization. She built the famous giant wild goose pagoda, which is still there. In fact, there are three floors above the floors that you can see now that came down during an earthquake subsequent to her reign. But this was probably the tallest building in the world at the time. And she excavated a great cave at a, at a famous religious Buddhist site along the river, um, there are these famous uh, caves that were considered sacred. And hers is actually made in her honor. The Buddha itself has her face sculpted into it, which is magnificent. She built these granaries we've already spoken of. 
She expanded her capital city. And what you mentioned, Gareth, is Buddhism. So they had Confucianism. That's what was practiced and also a bit of Taoism. Yes. But um, she brought Buddhism into it. So it was the new contemporary new religion or spirituality that, right. that came in. And she actually brought it to China. Well, what was so interesting about that is that she – she realized it was popular with her people already, almost like Constantine realized that Christianity was growing in his people's imagination. And he took on Christianity as a political move. And she she was already a Buddhist, so it was easy for her to do this. But it did weld her much closer to her people than if she had just been an empress who was distant. You know, She ordered that there was a Buddhist temple to be built in every town in the empire. Again, these are the kinds of things that you don't get to do unless you're extremely powerful yeah. and you you manage every detail of what happens in your kingdom. But if I look at her, just to step back a little bit and her rise to power, if you can call it that, um, as we mentioned, she was with Kaizong. And, and then when he died, what was the custom then was that all his concubines had to be sent to monasteries, cut mm. their hair, and they're going to be sent to monasteries for the rest of their lives. And this is actually what happened with Wu. But... Because she had had a relationship with Gaizong and or Gaizong's wife, the empress, saw that he really loved this concubine. So she thought she should bring him back. So she brought Wu back in. But wow. when Wu came in, the empress started to see, hang on, he's now all over Wu. He only has eyes for Wu. So the story comes out, did the empress kill Gaizong's daughter with Wu or did Wu kill her own daughter to become empress. And that was a story that's banded about. Nobody knows. But what ultimately happened was the emperor believed her, who was made empress to be his wife. And then when she was empress, she organized that they be executed. And then once again, there's stories about cutting off feet and hands and throwing them into a brewery vat. Uh, so th- those are the stories that come through. But this lady had her own dynasty. Yeah, she was an empress at her own dynasty. So they, I think they did a lot in the centuries that followed to ruin her name. Well, I mean, Anne Paladin, who's a famous historian, said that uh, Wu Zetian was an extraordinary woman, attractive, exceptionally gifted, politically astute, and an excellent judge of men. With single-minded determination, she overcame the opposition of the Confucian establishment through her own efforts, unique among palace women, by not using her own family. Her rise to power was, however, steeped in blood. And it was interesting that during her reign, women in China were able for the first time to decide whether or not they wanted to be married to a man. They could divorce the man themselves without any permission from any of the men. Their rights were expanded. They were allowed to be entrepreneurs. She encouraged and fostered female businesses. And she seems to have been very well respected during her reign by men and by women. She was loved. She was actually very popular and beloved to monarch at the time. And, and, you know, we talk about people that are ahead of their time. I mean, she was thousands of years before her time. Well, if you consider that, you know, Elizabeth I, who we've dealt with in one of our episodes, was 900 years mm. later than her. It makes her achievements all the more remarkable. Yeah. There is talk of Boudicca. The, the queen, en- the English, uh, the well, English queen, Brit- or the Celtic, Britain. yes, ancient uh, who, Britain, who went out to take on single-handedly take on the Roman might, and that was sort of one of the first powerful females at the time. And they talk a lot about some synergies, except Wu did it in a different way. She was very much non-aggressive. It was precarious for her. She knew that she had to do everything. She had to be so careful to survive. It, it was a man's world at the time. 
It's unbelievable that um, that so much of her reign is still extant. I mean, there are buildings that you can go and visit in China that she she used and that she built, and they're still standing. And and again, this is this this is the kind of thing that gives me chills. But I'm always amazed at where nations protect and preserve their history rather than destroying mm-hmm. it. And in spite of the fact that the generations that succeeded her were so opposed to her having a good reputation, and even though much was probably destroyed, there are still so many surviving examples of the architecture, the writing, the history, the detail of her reign, that if you were a historian some 1,500 years later, it is possible for you to go and witness firsthand things that that empress might have seen yeah and unpacked exactly who she was yeah and which oh. is which is starting to come out more and more now and as you mentioned right in the beginning the silk road which was fundamental to trade the west needed so much from the east and i suppose it, vice versa and she managed to open it up again because it was raided by nomads and people were killed if they even tried to go on it so she settled that down she was very diplomatic so she didn't have a lot of wars which which was unusual because emperors they first and foremost military leaders, and then they would hmm. maybe have some skill in administration. But she would rather look at diplomacy and spas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And she took what is modern career. She expanded the empire as well in a different way. But she was forced to abdicate in a way, just finally. Well, she was in her eighties, and that's another thing that you have to honour her for. It seemed like she had a high sex drive. You know, she was she, and the people used to be upset because she had hundreds of men concubines, and they were upset. But what was the difference, really? And then she would say when they asked her, she said, "England kings have many concubines." So she developed a deep relationship with young brothers who apparently they were singers or, or whatever it might be. They were called the Zhang brothers, and it caused a lot of scandal in court. And she realized her time was up, and what they expected was her to continue the Zhao dynasty. But she didn't. She brought back the Tang dynasty, which was actually the, probably the right thing to do at the time. And then she brought out of exile her son, which became Emperor Zongdong, and he was useless, like his dad. But the grandson was very good. So that was the greatest. Actually, the Tang dynasty is one of the greatest in terms of expansion and growth, in terms of scholastic growth, learnings, art. And she started that. Now, a remarkable woman. There's no shortage in history of great men and women, but this woman is just right up there with the very best of them. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. She had this copper box, and the copper box would be, what are the people thinking about? Oh, wow. And so people used to write letters and put them in there. Oh, so she it was almost to. like the suggestion boxes. That's exactly. It was a suggestion box. And that's how she would find out what was going exactly. on. Exactly. Wow. 